Hello, hello, this is Jonathan and you're listening to the Johnny Talks Podcast, the place where we help you achieve your financial goals. Hola amigos, hope you're having a great day wherever you are. And if you're a new listener to the show, special warm welcome to you. I really appreciate you tuning into the show. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. I appreciate it even more. In today's episode, we will speak to my friend Derek from Money Health Solutions. He's a financial therapist helping his clients to identify their financial beliefs, also called money scripts, and to improve their relationship with money. And by now you might probably wonder, what is a financial therapist and what are those money scripts you're talking about? This was new to me too. I had actually never heard of financial therapist before speaking to Derek. But if you are a regular listener to the show, you will remember that getting the right money mindset is an essential first step to get your finances in order. Something that can, for example, stand in the way of getting the right mindset could be the negative financial beliefs you have developed throughout childhood. The stock markets are dangerous. More money equals happiness, so I should work hard. Talking about money is taboo. We don't talk about money in this house. Rich people are bad. Money is the root of all evil, etc., etc. These are all money scripts. So in today's conversation, Derek will explain what his profession consists of, and uh, we will then discuss more in detail how we can identify our own money behaviors, negative or positive, because they can be both, and how we can start rewriting our money scripts and improving our relationship with money. This episode, amigos, is absolutely solid. I'm very excited about it. Derek comes on the show with a wide breadth of experience, numerous examples for us to understand how emotions and finances are intertwined and how this can affect our behaviors. I'm very excited about this episode and I know you will love it too. It really makes me happy to, to be able to deliver this kind of interview. This episode is for you. If managing money makes you uncomfortable or if you nurture negative feelings towards your finances and you're ready to change those feelings to improve your relationship with money. So without further ado, let's hear the interview. Hello, Derek. How are you doing today? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yes, and uh, I'm very excited to have you, Derek, because you are uh, the founder of Money Health Solutions and you are a financial therapist. So I'm wondering what a financial therapist does and what it entails, actually. Great question. And it's, it's quite new, so it wouldn't be uncommon for people to not have heard of it. Mm -hmm. So a financial therapist is somebody who combines the emotional and behavioral aspects of money with the kind of planning, the more math and spreadsheets and calculators side of money. So if you think about in the past, if somebody had problems, usually with money, so 75, 80% of stress or people rate money as the top source of stress in 80% of the cases. So if you went into a financial planner, traditionally, and you started crying because it was emotional and maybe you and your partner weren't on the same page, mm -hmm. they wouldn't be equipped to deal with the, the emotional side. They wouldn't know other than giving you a Kleenex or a tissue how to deal with that. So then you'd go to a therapist and the therapist would be very well equipped to handle the emotional side. Mm -hmm. They didn't know a thing about money. So there was this big gaping hole in the middle combining the two. And that's in a sense what financial therapy is. Okay, so you said it's um, it's pretty new. So uh, how, how long have you been doing this? Personally, about two to three years. It mm -hmm. wasn't a hard, like I didn't flip a switch and then turn into a financial therapist. It was a gradual switch. So about three years. And it's been an official profession for about 10 years. Kind of started right after the 2008 crisis here in the States. Yeah, okay, I see. Because 
why I wanted to invite you as well, Derek. It's because, you know, of course, I started my blog and then it turned into a podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, first, of course, I was as well, you know, publishing articles about how to understand interest rates, how to uh, buy properties, how to, you know, how to leverage, uh, you know, uh, bank financing to have um, more money for your banks and how to save money, how to do this and that, and how to invest in the stock markets. And this is all good. This is all great information. And it's all, uh, Mm -hmm. how can I say, backed up by mathematics and uh, some other rationals. And what I discovered as well through the years, I've said it already on the podcast, but it's that, you know, I can explain as much as I want. And then we can go into the nitty gritty details of, uh, I don't know, investing in the in the stock markets and passive index funds for uh, 40 years and you will be a millionaire. That's all fantastic. But you can explain that. But in the end, if your mindset, if you are not ready for this, somehow it doesn't work. I mean, you you can tell as much as you want, but it's like talking to a wall. Do you agree with that? Uh? 100%. So in our industry profession, I guess, we talk about exterior finance and interior finance. Mm-hmm. Exterior finance is exactly what you were just talking about. It's the interest rates. It's the compounding interest. It's the strategy. It's the optimal solution. It's basically anything that you can find on a web search, anything that you can look up. That's the math side Mm -hmm. of personal finance. And that's what most people think about when they think about personal finance. They think, I just need a little bit more information and then I'll be able to make a better decision. All that stuff is necessary. But if you're unwilling or unable to get yourself to do those things, it's not going to mean anything. So that's where interior finance comes into play. And that's about you. That's inside of you. How do you behave with money? How do you talk about money? What kind of emotions, fears, and insecurities come up for you with money? So that has nothing. So kind of the exterior side of finance is kind of like the nature that's there for everybody to use. But the interior side of finance is kind of like the nurture. That's you. How did you come up in your upbringing? Yeah. So, so it's funny. Yeah. I yeah, never heard of this interior exterior, but it makes total sense. I think I was kind of thinking about it without uh, being able to put a label on it. And mm-hmm. then, okay, I think for the exterior part, there's tons of um, information out there. Uh, I mean, I publish information. I produce podcasts. <clears throat> many of our common friends from the FinCon community, they do as well. And many bloggers and podcasters in Europe. But then on the interior, yeah, where, do, where does one start and how does one realize where he is, how does one know, okay, I'm not ready for this, or I don't know, where, where, I'm not even formulating this well. How do you start with interior finance, uh, Derek? I love, I love it. And that's the way you frame that question is perfect because it helps get across the idea that this is so new for people. So the driving force behind all of your financial behaviors, and by financial behaviors, I mean everything that you do with money, how you save it, how you earn it, how you spend it, what you spend it on. You know, what kind of promotions you're going after, what kind of career you're going after, how much do you give away? How do you Mm -hmm. do you pay for dinner? All those things is your financial behaviors. And all those financial behaviors are driven by something called money scripts. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about a script, there's a couple of ways to think about it. There's a script like an actor or an actress would use so that you get a piece of paper and it tells you exactly what you're supposed to say. You can't deviate from that. Your job is to read the script. Mm -hmm. Or if you're more tech savvy, you can think of a a computer script, which is like a computer program. And it just starts and it runs through each line of code automatically. So there's no tinkering with it. Once it's there, it runs. And that's kind of like a money script. So these are these little scripts that are written deep in our 
subconscious brain. So we're unaware of them. That's going to be important later. We don't walk around knowing that we have these and we just operate based on what our money scripts tell us to do. Mm-hmm. And so it it's basically, and it can be anything. There's going to be infinite number of money scripts. So it's any little statement. Here's a couple of examples that are very common. More money will make my life better. Like that would be an example of a money script or money should be saved and not spent. You should never spend money on yourself. Those are a couple examples or you don't talk about money, right? So any kind of statement or rule that you can generate is a money script. So kind of think of it like a rule that you just automatically follow. And those scripts, these unconscious rules are written as we're growing up. So we're just learning how the world works. We're very, very young. So we have our minds are not fully developed. And we're trying to piece together how the world works. But what we don't know is that we have a very small sample size. We're only looking how money, how money works within, usually within our family system. Maybe that family system is bigger, or but it's basically we have a very small sample size. So we can get pretty good at seeing how money works in the context of our upbringing. But then what happens is we grow up, we move, we go to college, we go get a job somewhere. And now those rules don't apply anymore. And then we end up and that's when we get ourselves into trouble. So a money script isn't necessarily good or bad. There are good money scripts, but even a good money script like you should save for a rainy day can get you in trouble if you turn into Ebenezer Scrooge and you'd never want to spend that money because you're still operating from the same money script. So I'll pause there to see if that makes sense. I know I was doing a lot of talking there. <laughs> no, it makes absolute sense. And uh, I understand what you say with those rules, you know, with those scripts. So what I understand is that okay, it comes from our upbringing. So we, yeah, I mean, upbringing, your, your relations, your network when you grow up. And it's valid for everything, eh? for uh, your beliefs, your political views, whatever. But mm-hmm. here it's about money. So you, you, uh, you carry on those rules in your uh, adult life. And this makes total sense. Uh, I've seen, I've heard some of those behaviors. I've d- done some of them myself. For example, I probably had the money script of, uh, yeah, money should be saved and not spent a bit earlier on in my life. You know, so this has changed <laughs> as well. And of course, for me, this process has changed gradually, but I don't know how mm-hmm. it comes. You know, I guess it's from experience and talking. And, but um, I'm then curious how, for example, one realizes okay, this is my money script. I mean, how do people realize, hey, maybe I'm saving too much money and not spending enough on, I don't know, uh, on giving to my, uh, on self-care or uh, or I feel guilty when I, I spend uh, more than 100 euros on a restaurant or something. Mm-hmm. How does one, people uh, identify those money scripts? And then how do you change that? Yeah, good question. And so that's financial therapy in, in two questions. So the, that's the <laughs> that's the process. So I think it'll be helpful if I give an example yeah, of yes, how of yeah. you would develop a money script. So a very common one, at least here in the United States, is you don't talk about money. Talking about money is kind of more taboo here than talking about politics and weird things that are wrong with your body and sexuality and religion. We'll talk about all those things before we talk about money. So that's weird. So mm-hmm. how does that happen? Well, if you were growing up, this is one example. If you were growing up and every time your mom and dad talked about money, That is, every time you heard money being talked about, it ended in a fight. So you're watching that as a young child. And so you might develop a money script that says you don't talk about money. And your sibling might develop a money script that says money is cruel or money is harsh. 
It's because we're all going to develop different scripts based on what we see. Mm-hmm. But if you see money being talked about and always ending in fights, you're going to carry with you into adulthood the belief, the rule that if you talk about money, it's going to end up in a fight. And so you can you can almost imagine what that would be like once you start dating and once you start living on your own, you're not going to be as likely to want to bring up how much should we pay for our apartment? How much should we spend on this vacation? You just would rather not talk about it than to bring it up. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of one example of how it would develop. Another example that I like about how they change, so how they're contextual. So if you grew up, say, working hourly or even even in a salaried position, but the harder you worked, the more raises you got, the more hours you worked. So your paycheck was higher. Promotions would come your way. So you'd have this money script you'd be driving or the money script driving your behaviors would be more work equals more success or some variant of that. But then if that same individual became self-employed, for example, now all of a sudden just hard work, just putting in the hours doesn't work as well because you need to work smarter instead of harder. So there could be a disconnect there when the context changes. So those are a couple of examples of how money scripts drive our behaviors. Mm -hmm. And then when you think about them, so what does that mean for you, the listener? This is cool because the first step, the 80-20 rule, 80% of the way there is just understanding that there's something underneath conscious awareness that is driving your behaviors. So starting now that you know that, you can start to be open to seeing how it feels when you make a, a financial decision. And that'll be important. So when you start to look for them, you can I have people ask themselves a few questions, and essentially it's looking at money's role in your childhood. So I'll give just a few questions. Now we could we could ask many more questions, but I think you'll get a good idea of what, what we're looking for with these questions. So um, it's best if you do this journaling because we think by writing or by talking. So just thinking around in your head, we're going to get distracted. But if you actually want to learn what your money scripts are, Sit down at a computer or with a pen and paper and answer the question, what was your first memory of money? So that is, when was the first time you knew that money was a thing? And what feelings and emotions come up for you as you think about that memory? So that was your first one. Mm -hmm. And then what was your worst, your most painful memory of money? And talk about what happened and why you think it happened and what thoughts, feelings and emotions come up for you as you think about your painful memory of money. And then end with your most joyous or your most happy memory of money. And see what kind of story comes out of those three questions. You can also think of, you know, there's two words that are very, very subjective, rich and poor. So if you ask yourself, what did you learn about rich people when you were growing up? Whatever that meant to you. What did you learn about poor people growing up? And you'll start to weave together a story of what what you were learning, you know, and that If you ask 10 people, what does rich mean? You're going to get 10 answers. So that's why it's very personal and that's okay, right? So just write down how you felt. What did you learn? And you'll start to paint a little picture about money's role in your life. And then when you get done with the whole process, you might ask yourself, the moral of my money story is, and then fill in the blank or... Mm -hmm. Or even ask yourself point blank, what are the top three money rules that have been driving my behaviors? And I, it sounds easy. I know it does when I just said this here in about two minutes. But when you're actually thinking about this, you do yourself a favor and spend some time 
with this because this is one of those things that's, you know, there's a difference between simple and easy. And this is relatively simple in that it's pretty straightforward questions, but it's not easy because you have to really dig into your memory and try to figure out what what are you doing today that you probably learned from those events. Mm-hmm. So that's how you that's the steps to try to figure out what your money scripts are. So childhood is the biggest driver of our money scripts. But there is a second driver, and we call these financial flashpoints. You can think of this as the money version of trauma, um, although it's not always really traumatic to an outsider. If it was a highly emotional event for you, regardless of how it looked on the outside world, we'd call that a financial flashpoint. So examples of this are you're in middle school or high school, and you get made fun of for wearing the wrong kind of clothes. And you got embarrassed and they made fun of you and everybody was laughing at you. So that's a highly emotional event. And so you might develop a money script that says we only buy designer clothes now. And it could be clothes. It could be car. It could be whatever else. But if there's any time that you were embarrassed, it's usually embarrassment. But any highly emotional event, your brain kind of writes this rule so that you don't get into that situation again. It's like a defense mechanism. Right. So. We got made fun of for wearing the wrong clothes, so I'm not going to wear the wrong clothes ever again because I can't be embarrassed. So that's the the second form of how we develop these money scripts. And the way to try to think about those is to just think about major events in your life. So now we're outside of childhood. So now you're probably in your adolescent years, your teens, and even in your adults. You can have financial flashpoints anytime in your life. But think about it, the times when there were money situations that caused a lot of emotion for you and write those down. So it's kind of, it's the second step to the childhood questions. So you're just trying to figure out what's happened to you and what did that do to your beliefs about money? So now you're starting to get a pretty good picture of what you believe and why you might believe it. And again, bringing all this stuff up to our conscious awareness, that is gold. That is that's going to help 80% of the people just there doing that work to figure out one, that there's a thing called money scripts and two, learning where they came from. So as you go, I think that's very good because, um, I, for another interview where I, um, was the guest, I went through the exercise of going through my uh, childhood, uh, because it's about money. It was about kind of money scripts because it was an interview with a, a money coach. And I did the exercise. So I did the exercise for 15, 20 minutes to try to remember money stories because uh, what she said is, uh, yeah, try to come up with uh, funny money stories. And uh, of course, I had to dig a bit. So I did like the whole thing, the, the whole exercise. Okay, it took me 15, 20 minutes and I came up with stuff. But it took some time because at first I didn't think of those stories. And it's only after doing this exercise for 15, 20 minutes that, oh yeah, I remember this, or oh, this from high school or this from childhood. And this was the money story part. So this is, uh, yeah, then what I talk about in that uh, interview is going to be published on YouTube uh, tomorrow. So yeah, I'll, I'm looking forward to that. Anyway, so just to say that, yeah, it, it's quite uh, interesting if you do that, that exercise. And then I never heard of those flashpoints, but I totally um, see where... Um, how it's applicable because I have an example in my head, which comes maybe from uh, more the adult life or let's say the early twenties, you know, you start dating, for example, and you know, you, when you're 20, you don't make a lot of money. So 
it could be that hey yeah those, that guy uh, you know he has a more successful life or he's uh, you know he wears more better clothing has a car mm -hmm. and maybe you're still a student with the with not so many with not right. so much money and then you don't have a car or whatever and you know then you feel a bit less or you feel a bit intimidated and then maybe you work hard to um okay i'm talking as a dude here but maybe you work hard then later and then you you uh, you become successful but then you, you know you maybe wear better clothes and everything you have a fancy car you know then you prove yourself but you know maybe it's uh, not exactly the the right approach <laughs> i love everything that you said and i love how timely that was that you had just gone through an exercise like that that's coming out tomorrow yeah and uh no so 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 that's why i really see it working and um i really see it can be helpful for people just to at least identify the those money scripts and then uh, derek you know so let's say you you run through that exercise and maybe i'll do the flashpoint thing <laughs> as well mm -hmm. uh, to to see uh yeah if there's something there to to dig into but okay once you do that you 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 write everything down or you put that somewhere in uh, in your notes on your laptop or uh, on your phone now what do you do you say look i have a problem i have my dad has invested in the stock markets when i was a kid and he lost uh, 80,000 dollars or euros so i don't want to invest in stocks so um stocks are bad okay i know this now how do i overcome this fear or how do i change modify this money script Awesome question. Great example, too. And I, I'll add to your to your story mm -hmm. before I jump into that is even though you were writing for 20 minutes, uh, tell me if this is true. It's common from my seat that even though you only did that exercise for 20 minutes, uh, it's common for people now six hours later, 12 hours later. Now that your mind is primed, you'll, these ideas will just pop into your head and you're like, oh, that's another. I forgot about that one. And mm -hmm. so you'll go back and and write it down. So you know, even if you do that exercise for 15 or 20 minutes, it will, your juices are flowing now. So you'll be thinking about more examples later. And when you come up with those examples, try to write them down in the version of like you did, like a rule or a script. Stocks are bad. So now you know, I have a belief that stocks are bad. And you know where it came from, because my dad lost 80,000 in the stock market, which was, and maybe it's even worse, maybe that was 80% of his total you know, net worth. Mm -hmm. So now you know what the script is, you know where it came from, and you can write down what that's doing to interfere with where you want to be going forward. So is this script good or bad? Because there are some good ones. In this case, you might say, well, that one's getting in my way. That one's keeping me stuck. So now it's time to challenge the belief. And so this will takes a little bit more time, mm -hmm. but you, what you want to do is is ask yourself the question, is this true in all cases? There's almost always the case that it's going to be no, because they're, you know, they're contextual, they make sense for some cases, but they make sense in almost no other cases. So are stocks always bad for everyone? And if you still answer yes, then come back to it later, because if you, that means you're not ready to change that one. So move on. So I don't want you to dwell on it too much if you still can't get out of so let's use a different example where it might be a little bit more wishy-washy in terms of whether it's good or bad <laughs> so there's a very common money script that more money will make my life better yeah that's an easy one yeah. i've been there as well yeah you know that's that's true in some cases but if that script causes you to become a workaholic or if that script causes you to miss 
family events or it's keeping you away from your family or if you're you're way too stressed out because you're trying to make all this money or the other side, you just have too much anxiety because you don't have enough money and you haven't been able to figure out how to how to make more. Now that becomes a negative source for your for your life. So you've identified more money will make my life better. Mm -hmm. And is that good or bad? Well, that one's not as clear. Now, of course, if you're in poverty, more money will absolutely make your life better. But once you got your basic basic needs met, you'll find that if you weren't happy without the money, you're not going to be happy with the money. And the research has shown this over and over again. So we have to spend some time to figure out, like, where are you? Are you in that income and wealth level where more money actually would? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's going to give you a different answer. Or are you are you making a lot of money well into the six figures, but you're still chasing more because you think I just need to get to the next promotion. I just need to get to the next raise. Maybe once I get to 200,000, then I'll finally be happy. Or this that hedonic treadmill, they call it, where you just set a target. Once you get it, you get used to it. And so you need a new target. And so you just keep running and running and running. So you got the beliefs and you're trying to challenge them. So how do you challenge them? You try to think of, so like in, in math, if you wanted to prove some kind of a rule, you don't try to figure out all the situations in which it works. That would take you forever. But if you can find one situation in which it doesn't work, you just disproved the rule. Because mm -hmm. if it doesn't work in every case, then it's not actually a rule. So can you think of at least one situation where stocks wouldn't be bad? Can you think of at least one situation where more money wouldn't make your life better? So if you can start to think of one, at least one, and if that thinks you know, that might spark you to write two or three or four or five situations where that's not true. So now you've broken the system. Now mm -hmm. you've broken the rule. So now you know, all right, well, if it's not true in every case and it's only true in my case, what can I do or what would it take for me to become comfortable with the opposite side of that? And you might even write down, you know, um, a Venn diagram, like a big old circle that says something like stocks are good. And you got another circle that says stocks are bad and they're well, I guess that wouldn't be a very good example. But your view, let me mm -hmm. let me rephrase that. Your view is true, and that's one circle that's inside a much bigger circle. So what you're trying to do is increase your awareness from your little circle to the much bigger circle. Mm -hmm. So your awareness includes your experience. What do you need? And ask yourself and, and seriously look for where you might go for this answer. What do you need in order to increase that awareness and challenge your belief now that you know that it's not a rule because you thought of examples in which it wasn't correct, where will you go to look for that more awareness? And it could be books, it could be articles, it could be professionals to work with. But what you're trying to do is start to rewire your brain to make you comfortable with an improved version of, of that money script. Mm -hmm. And Derek, you will laugh, but I have a pretty down-to-earth example in my head right now. It's, yeah, awesome. Um, I have a friend. And for example, you know, when he goes on holidays, he spends a certain amount of uh, money on accommodation, but it's not su super expensive. You know, it's like, let's say, three-star hotel, which is decent, but it's not luxury. And then, of course, this guy starts to date. It's not me. It's really a friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> this guy starts to date and this lady, eh, she's more used to the five-star. So at some point, you know, after dating for a while, they go on holiday together and of course, he's like, yeah, well, I cannot take her to three stars. But then he goes, he experiences 
a few five stars hotels. Mm-hmm. And then they come back from holiday and then I'm asking, uh, yeah, so uh, Peter, so how was it? Uh, the, your holiday, uh, your holiday, how was it? Oh yeah, it was good. Yeah, yeah, we visited uh, the Taj Mahal, etc. And uh, the hotels, yeah, actually, yeah, it's not that bad. Huh? You know, I went to this five-star hotel, you know, a bit of luxury. It's not that bad, you know? So, okay, <laughs> you see, it's very down to earth, but, you know, by experiencing it, uh, the more luxury hotel maybe he likes it maybe he enjoys it. Mm-hmm. it it challenges his view because yeah now he's kind of uh not obligated but he followed the girlfriend yeah. so yeah at least okay maybe i don't know if it breaks the cycle uh, forever but at least you know he it will challenge his view and balance uh, his view i love that example because that's a great point so there's there are like his money script is probably don't pay too much for hotels mm-hmm. that's a rule that you can you can write for yourself. And so what would it take? He would never, I imagine, go to a five-star hotel on his own because right? he's got, because that rule wouldn't let him. Mm-hmm. So by having to stretch that comfort zone a little bit, uh, in this case, to impress a woman, he had to get his toe in the water of what it's like to have a, a five-star experience. And what did that feel like? You know, maybe you're, like you said, maybe he realizes this is what I want to do now. I have a new taste for it. Or maybe he says, I'm glad I experienced it, but I don't need it. And that money can be best spent on a excursion or something like that. Yeah, right? exactly. But at least mm-hmm. but at least he got the experience. So now he has data instead of just a story that he made up in his head. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. No, I really like that. And um, and this is something you uh, then do with your, um, how do you say, patients or clients? <laughs> Great question. I call them their clients for yeah. me. Mm-hmm. There are some folks who would call them patients if they come from a mental health background. Mm-hmm. So if they're a psychologist, say they would probably call them patients. Mm-hmm. But, but do you have like a practice and people come to you like you're a doctor or like you run an office or uh, how, how do I need to, to see that they call you and you do it online? Uh, yep, I work uh, straight online, all virtually. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's it feels more like a coaching relationship. But there's still a lot of tools and techniques that we borrow from the therapy world. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of interventions and a lot of talk therapy and a lot of exploring areas that they probably haven't talked about before, but it's not coming in to sit on my couch or something like that. It's <laughs> all, all via the computer. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you, um, Derek, I have a, a question. You worked in wealth management before you started your practice. Correct. And um, yeah, I was just wondering, you know, people, that work in wealth management. Okay, it's people that are dealing with big money, with clients, with, uh, you know, uh, all sorts of investment, all sorts of investments, yeah. And um, mm-hmm. so I was wondering then, did you notice any particular money scripts or were the money scripts of your clients or your colleagues all over the place? Really good question. And I think the 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 real answer isn't going to be very juicy, but the real answer is everybody's different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so some people, some people that I worked with as wealth management clients, so the, the firm firms that I worked for required, you know, two to five million US to just to be a client. So that would make you the smallest client if you had two million dollars. Mm-hmm. So some of those people, they were windfall clients, and what that means is they you were poor. And then now they're not. So there was either a life insurance payout or there was a settlement or some other 
version of that. We didn't have any lottery winnings, but think of it like you won the lottery of some kind. Mm-hmm. If you if you only had a small amount and now you have millions, so your life changed. Like that's a whole new neighborhood. That's a whole new financial neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So those people will have different types of money scripts. So they typically will have. This is actually a good segue. There's two very common money scripts or versions of money scripts are some version of remember more money will make my life better. We talked about that one a little bit, but there's also anti-rich beliefs like money corrupts or rich people are bad or Mm -hmm. some version of that. So when you're poor and your only experience with rich people might be that they are jerks. Like maybe it was the landlord who was always threatening to evict you. That was actually my case. So if your only experience with what you think rich person is, is with bad people, then you write the script that rich people are bad people. So then you also have the script that I just need a little bit more money to make my life better. Well, these are kind of competing in your head because let's say I start saving and saving, or maybe I get this windfall, like a life insurance payout. But I also think rich people are bad people. But now I'm kind of a rich person, but I'm not a bad person. So there's this back and forth that you play in your head. And so what you find is a lot of people will try to get rid of this money as quickly as possible. Now, remember, they don't do that consciously. Nobody sits down and says, oh, I'm way more comfortable being poor. I need to get rid of this money. <laughs> yeah. But their actions do that. And it looks it's justified. It's all justified. So they will support their cousin's daughter who wants to start a business. And then they'll start this charity over here. And then they'll fund this person. And then they'll help that person. It all feels very generous mm-hmm. but the account balance start to to dwindle and it's because of the competing money scripts that they have so that's on one hand on the other hand generational wealth so we could have clients that are the third generation it was grandpa that made all the money he's a doctor and he had patents and made a lot of money from all the different areas he's a professor and an inventor and and then there was the kids who did okay but then by the time you get to the third generation they're not prepared like they didn't ever have to work for any money yeah. right so Now, they are what we would call financially dependent. So they quite literally, in some cases, are dependent on the trust in the case of a trust fund, or they're dependent on just being able to say, Grandpa, I need some money for what that means is they they lose creativity. They don't know how to go make money on their own. Meaning if you shut off the trust, if you shut off mom and dad, if you shut off grandpa and grandma, would you be able to survive in a lot of the cases here, it's no. So these money scripts are, there will always be enough money. Another money script might be, mm-hmm. I deserve to spend money. And so again, those those are true in some sense, but if you don't have the ability to go make your own money, or if it's very hard for you to find purpose because you don't need to stick around at that job in order to make money. So as soon as it gets tough, you leave, right? That makes it hard to find any purpose in your life because you're not giving any jobs a try. You're not letting them develop into anything worthwhile. So the financial dependent is another type. Those are kind of two extremes. And then there's all the people in the middle, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you have identified a few issues, a few money scripts, and and then is there one money script we should all go, um, we should all strive for, or uh, are there several money scripts people need to, to go to? That's a really good question. I've never been asked that before. So that's, the again, so the a money script can be anything, and the way that we're talking about it, it can kind of sound like they're bad because we're only addressing the yeah, bad ones. Exactly. But but there are good ones. Mm-hmm. There are good ones that say you should pay yourself first. There are good ones that say 
money doesn't grow on trees, so you should save. You know, so there are good money scripts, but remember, all money script can turn into a bad money script in certain situations. So let's go back to the Dickens story, A Christmas Carol. Ebenezer Scrooge is the kind of antagonist in that movie or book or story. And when you learn more about him, he came from poverty. So he wrote this money script that you you have to fight me for this money. I earned it and I'm not going to get rid of it because if I get rid of it, then I have nothing and then I'm poor again. Mm -hmm. That might be a good strategy when you're first getting started. Like be vigilant with your money. Don't mm -hmm. give it away unless you know it's worthwhile. But when you become a billionaire or whatever it was adjusted for inflation and you're still a miser, right? Now all of a sudden that money script turned into a bad version because yeah. he's not spending his money. He's not enjoying what he had built. So it's it's not the case that there are universal money scripts that you should follow. More important is to increase your awareness around your money scripts. Make sure that they're working in your favor and do your best to change and adjust any that aren't working in your favor. Mm -hmm. So you should kind of have a, a goal, a plan, a, an intention with your money and then align that money script to that. Yes, absolutely. And I think it will be helpful. Money scripts. So there's infinite money scripts. Whatever you can think of mm -hmm. can be a money script, but they tend to fall into four categories. So it might be helpful to understand the four categories. So the first one is money avoidance money scripts. Money avoidance sounds just like it says or just like it's stated. You're avoiding money. So this is where those anti-rich beliefs would fall. This is where uh, kind of like a vow of poverty. There's virtue in living with less. Mm -hmm. You know that rich people the, are bad. Uh... Rich people are bad. If you're good, the universe will provide for you or take care of you. Uh, those kind of things fall into that category. The second would be money worship. And these are the category around more money will make my life better and those types of money scripts. Uh, and the third one is money status money scripts. So this is people who equate their net worth with their self-worth, people who use money as a way to kind of show other people mm -hmm. how much I have. So where money worship is pursuing more money, that's for internal reasons, because I think life would be easier if I had more money. Money status is pursuing more money for external reasons because I want to have the biggest house on the block or I want to show mm -hmm. people that I can make it and I want to show people that I'm somebody. And then the fourth one is money vigilance. And these would be the kind of the best of the four. Money vigilance is, you know, money should be saved and not spent and it's not polite to spend money on yourself. Kind of you're holding on to your money. But remember, even though it's kind of the best category there, just like with Ebenezer Scrooge, even those scripts can be taken to to the extreme, uh, and those would be bad for you. So those are four categories that they would all fall into. Okay, very good. So Derek, um, then I have a last question, um, maybe. What about you? <laughs> that That's my question. My last question is about you. What, what Have you had a change in uh, money stories uh, along your, yeah, in your life? Did you come from a certain place and you moved to an, an, another place? Yeah, and we, <laughs> we could have a whole episode on me. <laughs> So I grew up in poverty, uh, single mom, four kids. So for me, I kind of grew up. And here's where what's kind of funny. All four of us siblings developed wildly different sets of money scripts. But for me, I remember thinking money is my ticket out of this. I don't like living like this. Mm -hmm. So I need to make a bunch of money. And so I very much had those money worship scripts. More money is going to make my life better. And so yeah. 
what do I need to do in order to do that? And that led me towards portfolio management, which is kind of managing investments, usually within a mutual fund or something like that. So I pursued this career of money management because I thought, well, that's how you make the money. I'm dealing with money all day long. And that brought me into college and that brought me into CFA charter and the CFP certified financial planner designation. And that's where I ended up working at investment firms mm-hmm. as a trader and a portfolio manager and a automated like tech guy. And that's where I was. Remember, we talked about external finance. So I was 100 percent exterior finance. And then that was OK. I was making a lot of money, but it wasn't I wasn't able to help anybody that I knew growing up because I worked at these firms where you needed multiple millions of dollars to work there. So I incidentally kind of took a weekend workshop on how to listen. Exquisite listening, they called it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it was a whole weekend on how to listen, which kind of sounds funny, but there was a lot of psychology in there, a lot of neuroscience, a lot of just a lot of communication tools. And that's when I learned information isn't enough for most people. Information isn't enough. So that led me down the path of the financial psychology route, mm-hmm. ending up with me being a financial therapist. So I, I chased money all the way up to this exterior finance job and pivoted when I learned that it's more helpful for people to learn more about their interior, they do some interior work. So I, I went from a place where I was working all 100% with the spreadsheets and calculators side of money to now where, a, where I'm working... with the emotions and the Mm -hmm. feelings and the behaviors around money. Okay, very good. And um, yeah, I think I'll need to re-invite you for a second episode, Derek, then we can go more into details (laughs) into your story. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Okay, very good. Well, Derek, uh, thank you very much. I think it was... um, I think it was, I really like this episode. I think it's, um, it covered good ground, good solid ground for the listeners to maybe discover their own money scripts or at least to start the the process of thinking about their money scripts. And I think that's very useful. And maybe I'll do those, uh, as I said, I'll do the flashpoints for myself as well. Who knows what com- comes out of this? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, very good. And then, you know, as you know, at Derek, we always have our uh, three quick fire questions before we close. So, uh, Derek, are you ready for this? Yes, sir. Okay, very good. So, Derek, um, yeah, we didn't go into details about investments, but what has been your best investment so far? And I wanted to say myself, but mm-hmm. I don't think that's detailed enough. So I wanted to drill down and it was my undergraduate degree. Mm-hmm. You know, people where I grew up didn't go to college. And so that was the best bang for my buck that I could have ever had. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. And then uh, I saw that you are a, a voracious reader. You read 50 <laughs> books per year? About, yeah, depending on the size of them. Okay, well, that's very good. That's one a week. And then, um, yeah, I have my goal is 20. So I'm at uh, a time of reading. uh, Sorry, a time of recording. I'm at eight. So I'm a bit I'm a bit uh, behind. Anyway, the next question is, um, what is the best book you can recommend to anyone? And it does not need to be financial. I know it will be difficult for you if you're such a (laughs) a big reader. Well, for sure. And, and, you know, usually when I'm asked that question, I can direct different books for different types of people, but to make it kind of more universal, uh, there's a book called Thinking Fast and Slow, which is kind of a a cheap answer, and I'll tell you why in a second. Mm -hmm. But that's a great intro into how our brain works and how it's who we think are we making the decisions. You find out very quickly that we're not actually making those decisions. Our, Our 
kind of animal brain is making those decisions for us. So if you already didn't know that, this book is a very good intro into that. And I say it's cheap because it's, it's one book technically, but it's like 450 pages. So it's a kind of a beast. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm at page 50. Just <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> nice. um, and, and I already see all the applications of system one and two. I mean, for the, mm -hmm. for the readers, so basically it's the intuitive brain, intuitive part of the brain and the other more reflected, more slow brain. So it's very good. I really like it uh, so far. And I'm only at page 50. So I think there's so <laughs> much more to learn uh, from that book. Uh, I think it's very powerful. Awesome. Very good. And then, uh, Derek, then the last one is, um, yeah, what is the best purchase you've made for under $100? <laughs> That's such a hard question. So I, I'm aware that there's this concept called recency bias, where I'm more likely to remember things that happened more recently. Mm -hmm. So I'm probably forgetting good $100 purchases from 20 years ago. But I know for a fact, in March here in the United States and in, in my state of Minnesota, we went into quarantine about the middle of March. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I went to a, a store kind of right before that. And we bought a badminton set for about 35 bucks. And we've got two, two rackets. It came with some junky rackets, but we bought some better rackets for about $30 each. And that has kept us active. It's kept us outside. It's given us something to do. And in a time where everything is closed, I would have paid way more than that for that activity. Oh, well, that, that's original. I mean, I didn't expect that one. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Very cool, Badminton. And uh, yeah, well, Derek, uh, so um, <laughs> that was very interesting and very cool. And where can people actually, uh, yeah, hear more from you? How can they connect with you? Great question. So I, I created a little web page for your listeners, moneyhealthsolutions.com mm -hmm. slash Johnny Talks. That's J-O-N-E-Y-T-A-L-K-S, one word. And on there, you can sign up for my newsletter, uh, weekly newsletter that I write. All my links to social media are there. Um, you can download a couple of free eBooks, but I put everything there on the one page for people if they're interested. Oh, perfect. Then you did all the, the groundwork for me. Only one link. And that's it. <laughs> in the show yep, notes. Absolutely. Okay, perfect. Well, people can uh, go to it and I will link it as well in the show notes. So uh, thank you very much, Derek. It was very informative and I'll speak to you soon for the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. I'm very happy to have had the opportunity to speak to Derek and to deliver this interview. I think it was very valuable and very rich in examples, etc. So I hope it can help you as well to identify your money scripts and that you can um, yeah, improve your relationship with money after this. And before we head off, let's just go through the key takeaways. Number one, on financial therapist. So that is someone who combines both the emotional behavioral side of money and financial planning. And as we talked about, there's exterior finance and interior finance. Exterior finance is what, you're, uh, what we are all familiar with, the math, the interest rates, the strategy, anything, all the info we can find on the internet. The interior finance, that is about us, about you. How do you behave with money? What insecurities come up when dealing with money, etc. Number two, on interior finance, there is an infinite number of money scripts. For example, more money will make my life better. Money should be saved, not spent, and so on and so on. In short, a money script is an unconscious rule that you follow. Number three, how do you identify those money scripts? One way to do it is to journal about it. So to, to write in a journal, what was your first memory of money? What emotions come up? Going through this exercise will already help you 80% on the way. Number four, now how do you change the money script? 
Well, one of the things you can do is to ask yourself, is this true in all cases? For example, are stocks always bad? Will money make my life easier in all cases? And as Derek said, if it does not work in every situation, it does not become a rule anymore. So at least that's the start. And last but not least, and I think that the, epi- the whole episode can be summarized in, in, into this, is that the goal of this episode was to help you increase awareness around your money scripts so that you can adjust them according to your plans. And I wish you all the best with that. So that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot to me. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcast. And of course, please do not hesitate to contact me. If you have any questions or feedback, send me an email, john at johnnytalks.com or connect through social media at johnnytalks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And amigos, once more, thanks so much for listening and I'll speak to you next time.